you need to be very thoughtful when you're curating a team because culture doesn't just happen, not good culture. And leadership doesn't just happen, at least not good leadership. And so there's a lot of that thought work that needs to go into it. And this is why so many experts say not to hire when you it's past time to hire, right? You are just the workloads past your ears. You were just drowning and working. You just want to hire someone to just relieve the itch now. That's going to lead to problems. Sure, sometimes it works out. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes when you post a random thing on Facebook and you have 300 comments, the right person DMs you. Like, it happens. But chances of that sustainably happening, especially as you grow and hire more people, those odds get a lot closer to zero. And so when you're hiring for your team, really that organizational planning is so critical. Hi, everybody. I'm Allison Ramsey, the host of the Empire Life podcast. And today I'm with special guest, Rachel Parea. I, I hope I said her name right. And she is a mastermind, business services, and operations consulting agency founder of her business. And I'll hand it over to her to intro herself a little bit more. Thank you, Allison. My last name is always a stumbling block. Um, even here in Texas, people who natively speak Spanish have a problem. So I'm oh. Rachel Parea. <laughs> I founded Mastermind Business Services in 2020. And what do I mean by operations is the processes that make your business run, the tech that automates it, and the team that makes your life better. So that's the areas that we support scaling businesses and nonprofits in. That's incredible. And I also forgot to say I'm a mentor for female founders who are scaling their businesses. And operations come up a lot where it's sometimes maybe the broccoli that we don't want to eat on our plate or the peas <laughs> that we try to give to the dog. It's going to help us to be more healthy in the longevity of our business. And I want to dive right in and ask you related to your business and yourself or personally, what kind of challenges have you overcome thus far in your business that you would like to share that have helped you become stronger and better in your business? Yeah, I love this question. I think when I first started my business, I fell into all of those newbie service writer traps of, you know, my first gig, I was charging like $10 an hour, which is just crazy to me to think about. Cause after taxes and I was, it was on Upwork. So they take like 30% mm -hmm. of that. I'm like, what am I even doing here? I'm like, <laughs> I can make more at Whataburger. That was a painful lesson. So I was still working full-time when I first started. I started freelancing in January of 2020. And so I was still working full-time at my corporate job. And so I was spending like evenings and weekends working for what amounted to, I think, $6.50 an hour after taxes oh my and everything. Gosh. And then I realized, well, that's dumb. What's the point of that? Because <laughs> I'm sacrificing all of my free time and not making any money. And perfectly frankly, the kind of clients who pay those rates are not exactly the easiest or most fun to work for because they expect the sun and the moon and the stars for you know $10 an hour. Um, and as I started growing in this space, I started meeting different kinds of clients. And so I just tested out everything. So my background is in operations and people leadership from corporate. So I've done it in retail and in financial mm. services industry. And I came into this space thinking I had, you know, I was interested in the thing. So I tried out everything. I've been a social media marketer. I had no business doing that. I was learning. I was like, let me try it. A client was like, hey, can you help post to my Instagram? I was like, sure, I have Canva. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did, I fell into all of those traps, you know, charging too little, working with the wrong kind of clients and of offering every service under the sun to every person who had a pulse and a PayPal. And, you know, that 
if anyone listening is starting out or in that phase, like get out as soon as possible. Try to skip that phase because you don't have to go through that. For me, it was a very painful lesson, like financially and time commitment wise, and just mentally that struggle of moving through putting value in the work I was doing and then, you know, naming what it is I really wanted to do and feeling confident that that could bring money into my family. And so that Mm -hmm. was, it was a real, a real journey. And thankfully I had a coach at the time to help me through it. And I developed some close community friends who were like, why are you charging $15 an hour? That's ridiculous. Um, And so, you know, getting that push really helped me move through those initial challenges. And, you know, as I'm sure, you know, like new levels, new devils, right? So each, as my business has changed or pivoted or scaled each time it's had, it's, it's had fresh challenges, like growing, I transitioned into an agency model in July of 2021. And so figuring out how to create a team that was thoughtful and efficient and functional, we were all happy to work together even with my team building experience took a second. There's a learning curve um, and onboarding clients and like trusting your team to do that work. And so that Mm -hmm. took a little bit of time to get used to. And so just, yeah, I feel like every time there's been a change or I've reached a new level, there's been a new challenge to push through. I completely agree. Yeah, for sure. There's, I love what you said, new levels, new devils. And I, I didn't want to unpack a little bit about what you said on pricing and how, you well what was involved well I mean that's not really one of the questions but it's something that comes up a lot with my previous clients and my current ones with how do I know what to price my services and even more than that how do I emotionally or physically really lean in to the change in prices because like you said your mentor might be or your coach might be telling you that your friends and family but it comes from inside. And then when we voice it to other people, it's almost heard in our voices that we truly believe in that price. Because if it's not heard, I've seen a lot of clients might then say, oh, well, okay, well, I even like, maybe I'm having this gift, this discount and kind of make up a discount on the fly. And, oh, well, I can give you this thing for free. And I can give you this other service I'll throw in when they weren't really planning to do that. And then it ends up being more work for them. And they're not necessarily sticking with their price. I just wanted to unpack that a little bit more. Yeah, there's so much mindset that goes into pricing. I think sometimes it's hard to quantify like that whenever when I came into the scene in 2020, I felt like online business space was exploding. You know, all the women who were forced to find another way to make money to support their family because they're home with kids, and the, so much of the advice that I saw at the time was, you know, charge your value, charge your worth, and it's like, but how do you quantify that? That's horrible advice. And so, you know, figuring out it's kind of mathematical. It's a little mathematical and a little, you know, mindset. They've got to come together. Like you said, if you can't say your price with your chest, your clients will feel it and no one's going to want to pay it. Yes. And I have another question on top of that. What do you feel like? (laughs) This is a very deep topic for, I think, for female founders. What do you agree with people putting their pricing on their website or no? I like the happy medium. I put, if Mm -hmm. I have something that has a range, I put starting at. If something's a flat rate price, I put the flat rate price. Because I will say, if I go to someone's website who I think I want to work with and I have to have a call with them to find out the price, I'm moving on. 
And, mm. you know, and I've heard that feedback quite often because depending on someone's mindset or your ideal client's mindset, they're either going to assume you're too expensive or that there's going to be too many hurdles. And like some services, you just need to have a link to a Stripe or Thrivecart checkout and just keep it moving. And some services, you know, maybe there's application, but I think, I think a little more transparency would help a lot of people. Um, and I think I like that middle ground of like starting at, so you don't have to put, that could be like 2000 to 10,000. Cause that's an overwhelming range, but you can put starting at 2000 for this type of business owner or whatever. That's just my philosophy. Yeah. I think I've come to that philosophy too. I definitely went back and forth. I didn't have my prices on my website for probably five years. And then I changed it when we revamped the whole, the business colors and fonts and everything, which was about two years ago. And I put starting at, because there's always some space for customizations. Like you were saying, maybe some clients want to add a few things or they say, I really want to come to this one event and I want to go ahead and add that right now to the price. Or I want, you know, one more hour of time with you a week or a month. I want to add that. So it gives some flexibility with customizing it to the individual, I think. Do you, would you agree with that? For sure. And I know in my case, you know, 98% of the time what we offer applies, but there's always that 2% special scenario where after talking to someone, I realize, okay, maybe you don't need the whole thing, but you still need this key piece of it. And I want to be able to have that conversation with them. And, you know, so if, if I'm going to do something like a smaller project, like we're just going to do a tech audit, we're not just going to, we're not going to do a tech audit and a process mapping and an entire systems build out, that's going to be a different price. And so I like to have that like give people that range because the person who might need a tech audit might not always be the same person who needs their entire business systems built out. Mm. So it allows for having more personalization mm -hmm. to the individual. Yeah. I love that. And I want to dive right into the next one. And how do you feel like a child or some childhood story that has come up for you that is reflecting in why you do what you do or were you the super organized kid? <laughs> So it's, it's interesting. Everyone creates operations with organized. I am certainly not a, or this is where my narrow spiciness really shows up. And like, if you were to walk into my room when I was a kid, you'd be like, crap, that's messy. Um, but I knew where everything was. Like I knew which pile had my favorite jeans in it. And I knew where my book was stacked behind the other things. Like that's how my brain functioned. And so I was never like super organized, but I think a good representation of why I do what I do, why my clients love me for it. By the time I was 11, I had a strategic plan mapped out for how I was going to be president. Like, and I mean wow. mapped out, like not like crayon. Like I knew what college I was going to go to, what I was going to double major in, what internships I wanted to go to. Like I literally <laughs> mapped That's out. incredible. So I could be president by the time I hit the age range to, to start campaigning. And that was very much like, that was me. It was very motivated, very ambitious. And I always have been able to, back up so I can see how each individual piece fits into the larger picture. It's like, that's really the parallel of what I do now, but I wish I could say I was an organized person. That's why I have some incredible team members. Their houses are like beautifully, their backgrounds. I'm like, wow, you can see all the shelves and things are organized. I'm like, look at that. Um, that's not me. <laughs> I wish it was, but it's not. Um, and so, yeah. And it's funny too, is when I was in high school, they had us take a business aptitude or like an aptitude test for like what field we should go into our senior year. And mine said I should be in business finance. 
um, or business management. Those were my top two. And I remember being like, that is so boring. Because <laughs> by the time I was I was in a senior in high school, I wanted to be Beyonce. Like that was the new goal. Um, and so I, is I pretty thought amazing. it was so funny. Mm-hmm. Right? I thought it was so funny that the girl who hated math and would get so bored in a lot of these things that would apply to business, really I was looking for a reframe of the way to approach it and a challenge. But at the time I was like, this is so boring. And ironically, I spent most of my career in business finance. So <laughs> really, is that yeah. what you majored in too? No. So I actually wound up not being able to finish my college degree. I had my first daughter when I was 18 and my second at 20. And so that kept me from being able to finish college. I've been chipping away at it over the years. And then at this point, um, one day I'm going to go back just because I, it's something I need to accomplish. Um, but at this point I haven't needed it to be successful because I've, I've been working since 2007. So I have so much like work experience now Yeah, that the degree feels like it would just be, you know, putting it on paper. Yes. And, and for you, if, if you felt like, like it's not a necessity, but you, if you feel like personally, okay, I'm going to be fulfilled, more fulfilled in my life because I get that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I really like certifications. And so I've done several certifications through the community college and through some online trainings. And, you know, I like taking classes, but they're not necessarily moving towards a degree at this point. Like I just, I mean, I have my bookkeeping certification because that was useful to me when I was starting my business. Um, I, I did the director of operations certification. Like I really like investing in more niche knowledge. I'm pursuing my society of human resources management certification this year. Like there's, there's, I like a lot of those kind of more niche skills that I know I will get an ROI on for myself and my clients. Yes. I mean, I, I can see how that's extremely beneficial for yourself and your clients. For myself, I just continue to get experience through working with clients. I don't have a, I'm also a coder, software developer. So I have some certifications in that. And I was doing that before in corporate, before starting Empire Life. That's, that's a highly technical skill. You know, I, yes, that's really cool. There's not enough women in coding. Yes. I was the only woman in my last job in corporate. So that's always interesting. There was one other woman in the whole company and the first day of work, I kind of like crouched down at her desk and was like, Hey, we like, we need to be friends. <laughs> she was like, oh yeah, yes, yes, we do. I'm so happy. Like, let's have coffee or something. She's like, I'm so happy you're here. That she was drawing every day. I mean, she did video game animation. So she had a big pad, which was really fascinating to watch her work. Well, it was a different know, area of the video game animation. Because the company that I worked for did a lot of video games. And I was in the education inside because so I also have a, a teaching certification which I'm now Ooh. a retired professor I was a professor for the last at, at ACC I don't know if you're familiar oh, with I that. love ACC yeah yeah I do too my daughter goes there now too part-time as in high school and I got too busy in my business this last year and I officially resigned so I've been doing that for like part-time the last five years and data analytics and well I was doing Facebook digital marketing that's how I got started they reached out to me and they had a partnership with Facebook which was really cool for the first three years I got to work directly with Facebook in ACC and then I spearheaded a data analytics program 
after that contract ended. Very cool. I love that. <laughs> I, ACC is a great school. Like it just, it is. that's right. It's a bookkeeping certification. And so like there is a CPA who, who taught it and it was just really cool. Are you a CPA as well? No, I'm not a CPA. Okay. I, it's when I, so before starting my mm -hmm. own business, I um, worked my way up to running a consumer lending branch. So it was like doing the underwriting and the collections and, you know, managing the team and all of that stuff. And I really loved our audits. That was the most, like, I was probably one of the only people in the company that when the auditor <laughs> walked in, I was like, Hey, I really love the compliance side. And so at that time I was still working towards my bachelor's and I switched my major from business management to accounting with the intention of going into forensic accounting. Um, oh, very cool. But I've realized since that I think my best love is serve, serving accounting firms. Like I, like there are some of our core client market is like the women who run CPA bookkeeping and accounting firms, because I love that space. But with just the way things have gone in my life, I'm like, you know, maybe one day I'll be an accountant. But right now I'm good with doing the ops side of accounting. <laughs> Yeah, if you do ever become a CPA too, like I, I was actually looking for a female CPA at some point because I love, oh, you do? Okay, perfect. As I love doing my own taxes, which is, I know, strange. And I get very into learning new tax strategies and understanding the laws or how, how they work to better serve my family and myself. And I actually thought about being or getting another certification to be a CPA. And then I saw the finance course hours. I was like, yeah, I don't really want to go back to college. I'm good. <laughs> I think I'll just read about it and do my own taxes for now until I can find a good CPA because to move into the next topic, like as we scale, you know, the, that's part of the pivotal moment of understanding. I, I don't really have time to do I make spreadsheets for every single uh, month and column of expenses for every year. And then I like to take those and put those into TurboTax and analyze it from year to year, like different spending, the different expenditures and where we lost money, where we gained money in the business. And I try to do that like every three months, but I'm noticing that I may have to outsource some of that because I'm starting to have less time to really analyze all, all of those areas and keep up with, well, maybe I could do this on taxes or I could you know, have this kind of expenditure that I didn't really think about, or maybe this is a business expense that I didn't realize was one, or it is, there's all kinds of different kind of accounts that people can set up. Like I set up a high yield savings account a few months ago and it's maybe like 50 to a hundred dollars that I get every month in interest. And I wish I would have known that sooner because if money's just sitting in a regular savings account, we're not getting any money from that. Uh -huh. That's regular kind of money. And those little tips are so helpful. If somebody's already following all the trends and that leads me into what are some of the pivotal moments that you realize, okay, I really, I need more operations or I'm scaling more and I have to have more professionals who know some of these things in areas that I just can't keep, I can't have my hand in everything. I can't keep up with the latest and greatest in, in all of these areas, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. I think there's a few like key moments that we see often with our clients and I caution people not to invest in services like mine until you have a proven product. Unless we've had a few clients who this is like their second, third, fourth business. So like they already understand the market. They know what they're doing and they just don't want to spend the elbow grease setting up systems. We've helped those people. That's fine. But if like, this is your first business and you're still developing your offer suite. I always recommend you get that stabilized first. And that in and of itself is your like a first milestone of scale. You figured out a good price point. You're getting clients in the door. You know, you're delivering the work. And then, okay, so now, you know, your hair's on fire every day. So how do you fix that? And it doesn't always mean that you're automating everything from here to kingdom come. Like there's that's something that we see a lot too, is there's there's such thing as over-automation and it helps to step back and evaluate like how your business is running, how you want it to run, always keeping your client experience front of mind. Cause then sometimes you might think you need to hire, but when you reevaluate you know, what you're doing with your tech or the way things are running in your business, you actually don't need to hire. You just need to connect something through a third-party integration, or maybe it means, you know, adapting your process a little bit, and then you can wait to hire longer. And then as you continue to scale, you're like, if I just automate all my tech tools, everything will be so much easier. But then once you have it all automated, you still need someone to push the buttons. Like there still needs to be that personal touch behind the scenes. Like you're talking about with numbers, like there's a lot of tools that can analyze numbers for you. When you're thinking like from a strategy standpoint, you really want a person doing it. And so, you know, the spreadsheets are great. I like Xero. Um, I've used QuickBooks and Wave personally in the business. And like, they're great tools to help Mm -hmm. analyze your numbers and track things. But having my accountant and my bookkeeper work together to review my numbers and help plan me plan strategically has really been so great because it frees up all that mental space. But also it that works like that in your business for your operations as well. So at those, we see it. So like there's that initial stage, you have a proven offer. Now you're you're in the six figures, you were churning and burning, everything is going great. You're starting to feel really like there's too much going on and you you need a solution. That's another great stage. Then we've gotten over that quarter of a million mark. We are on our way to the million. It's another moment, like each level, you'll start to feel the gaps or places in your systems where the duct tape is living and you need to look at it. And everyone, like we've worked, I've worked with businesses who are multi-million dollars. Who I've worked with people who've been around for over 25 years. I've worked with people who just started yesterday and everyone has duct tape in their systems. And so like- So true. Just, it's so true. <laughs> When I say systems, I don't just mean your tech tools. I mean, systems equal processes and tech together. And so each of those moments, really your processes are at the heart of all of it. And so you'll need to tweak them along the way as you grow, as you scale, like as you add new new services and new layers, like the way you onboard for one-to-one services is not going to be the same way you onboard for a group program. It's not going to be the same way you onboard for a course and so forth. And so you want to make sure yeah. that you're paying attention to all of those. And once you've proven that the offer is viable that's a good time to come in and really make sure that your systems are set up. Yes. And, and to automate, well, something that came to mind when you're talking about automating, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. And actually such a big fan that I was asked to leave some women's groups because I was wanting to talk about it so much. And it was really frowned upon. <laughs> you're dehumanizing the process. I'm like, wait, 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 no, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say it still needs to be humanized. Well, we can combine both of those together 
Like for example, with email marketing and making sequencing for the emails, I still want a copywriter to look over it, which we just hired one on the team and she's phenomenal. I still want her to look over it because I'm not a professional writer. I would like to be. And it's humanized. A real human wrote this email. But for every single program, you know, the goal is to have a sequence that somebody goes into and they get a real human email. But someone is, a human is not personally sending that email to them. And so that's, for example, of that. And something I also really dislike is the chats when you're trying to talk to a real person and they just keep asking you a random question that doesn't relate with what you're trying to get to the bottom of. And we were talking about in the green room, you want to spend your money there. You want to give get this service, but you're just going round and round with some kind of chat bot. And then they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you in 48 hours. And you don't end up spending your money there or getting the answer that you need. And that to me needs to be a real human a lot of times. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot to be said for services that maybe need applications or you need to vet, but there's also something to say for knowing your clients. And so like, if your clients are going to be, they're going to go to your website and they're looking for help now. And like you tell them there's going to be a 48 hour wait after they got to run around from a chat bot. Like what are the odds they're now Googling your competition? Like, so it's thinking about like the client experience for me really begins before the sale. Like how is your client, when your client first interacts with your brand, what is that experience? Cause that's that first touch point for what your company culture is and what you're putting out into the world. And that's what invites the right type of people in. And so if your initial contact is off-putting, it's going to be a lot harder to get them through your sales process. That's a great point. And I tell my social media manager, her name is Berenice, that every comment needs to be answered. Oh, every message needs to be answered. And if you're not sure how to answer it, you know, forward it to me or bring it to my attention. But I want every single person in our community to feel seen and heard. First and yep. foremost, whether they're eventually going to be a paying client or not this they're there in the community and they're appreciated and that's the company culture like you said mm -hmm. that we're we're setting the tone that they're accepted 100%. supported and i wanted to move on to to hiring because i know that's a big thing for you we were just talking about that but i i have a social media manager a copywriter podcast editor the copywriter and podcast editor, it's been only a few months since we've hired them. And they're incredible. I'm ecstatic and want to continue to give them raises and tips and anything that I can do to, to support them as well and refer them to people. I mean, maybe not too much because I want them to stay with me. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, this, they're just amazing. So I was That's wondering... Okay. Thank you. I was wondering what your feedback is on that about hiring people for your team. Yeah. So I've done a lot of hiring over the last decade and something that I like to tell business owners particularly is your culture does not start when they're hired. Similarly to your client experience, your culture starts in the role description you put out in you know your hiring process in where you're sourcing applicants from and so 
you need to be very thoughtful when you're curating a team because culture doesn't just happen, not good culture. And leadership doesn't just happen, at least not good leadership. And so there's a lot of that thought work that needs to go into it. And this is why so many experts say not to hire when you it's past time to hire, right? You are just the workloads past your ears. You were just drowning and working. You just want to hire someone to just relieve the itch now. That's going to lead to problems. Sure, sometimes it works out. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes when you post a random thing on Facebook and you have 300 comments, the right person DMs you. Like, it happens. But chances of that sustainably happening, especially as you grow and hire more people, those odds get a lot closer to zero. And so when you're hiring for your team, really that organizational planning is so critical. What is like, what's your big picture vision for the, for the team? Like, where do you see this company going? Are you scaling it to sell? Are you, is this a legacy company? Are you going to stay with it until you die? Like, or is this, is this a means to an end to fund another venture you have in mind? Like there's no wrong answer, but you need to know the answer so that when, when you're building your team, you're finding the right people at the right time. And then again, like as you've as we've talked about the different levels of scale, as you're evaluating where you're at in your business, you need to also be keeping in mind who's going to help you get to the next level. Like for example, um, one of my first hires in my business was a marketing strategist because I'm an ops person. I'm not a marketing person. And so knowing where your weaknesses are and how those weaknesses are holding you back from where you want to be. Um, is really important. Uh, so keep all of that in mind before you see that all of this is before you even start hiring. Like we haven't even talked about, you know, interviewing or sourcing or any of that. This is just all the work that goes in before you're hiring, which I think is why there's a lot of business owners who feel very resentful about team management and hiring. And they feel like it's overwhelming. It's because there's a lot of that pre-work that they're not doing. And so those shortcuts or lack of knowledge really shows up when you do find people because there's a lot of gaps or inefficiencies or they don't feel supported so they start to resent you and the work and like there's a lot that can happen so it takes very intentional decision making to hire well it does and before hiring the people i was just talking about i started making a list like you said in a spreadsheet like google sheets about what are the exact tasks that I want them to do and how would they go about, like where would they find this document and can I start making these documents for them already even before hiring them and then asking them once they are hired, do you have questions about any part of the document? Is anything unclear that I can add? Like, please you know, ask me questions. And do you feel, because the goal also is to get them to feel comfortable that they could train another person if needed to do something more. If they moved up and they got a raise and you know, they had more responsibilities, maybe they can train someone else. So that means that they have to be extremely well-trained in order. I, I try to think about it like that. Like, am I training them so well that they could offload their job to someone else and they could personally train them? Yeah. And I'm a big supporter of cross-functional team members. Like, so, mm -hmm. um, especially if when you have contractors, if your business is reliant on one person who is a contractor, you're not doing it right because not that anything's guaranteed, like employees are not a certain guarantee. They could quit at any time. Um, but with a contractor, it's even more shaky ground. Like you want to make sure that, you know, you have a backup plan, right? Like, oh, always enter with the exit in mind. Right. Like, so in a similar, more upbeat note, <laughs> training them <laughs> so that they can train 
the next person who's coming in behind them is great because it means that they do truly understand what they're doing and, and their role. So good job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying. I feel like I can always improve with the SOPs. I feel like there's more SOPs co consistently uh, coming back to the pivotal moments of scaling. There's consistent more things to do, uh, like mm -hmm. a new role recently for a team member was to make sure that every Monday by end of day, she sends emails to the upcoming podcast guests for this week, for the, for the upcoming week, and then they can respond. And I'm on that email, but before I was doing that, that was like my responsibility. You know, I was thinking, I think she can really handle this. I need to offload because sometimes I forgot. Sometimes I do it on Tuesday or Wednesday or, you know, like, or I do one by one. Okay. I sent tomorrow's or I sent the next day and that's not really efficient. So it's definitely more efficient to have her send them all at once and CC me. And I got the first one, I think a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even have to think about that. It was happening in the background. <laughs> and that feels really good to get that, to get CC'd on it. Yeah. When your team member starts coming in and really like flying in your business it's such a weight relief like when you have a good team working like it's it's just this incredible feeling that I I don't feel like I've had duplicated in any other area of running a business or even leading an office in corporate like just having a team that runs like a well-oiled machine that's happy to work for you is just this other level of feeling it is I'm stepping into that continuously and I I think well the new copywriters, she was telling the team recently, but I just feel so empowered. Like just writing this content is an inspiration for me. Like I'm gifting her that experience. And I was like, wow, I'm just blown away that that's truly how she feels that I'm giving her the opportunity to be inspired in her life, which is equating to more success for herself. That's beautiful. Yeah, I felt like it was beautiful. I was like, oh my gosh. I, I brought a little bit of tears to my eyes. It's like, wow, I didn't like it's not something that you think, well, you have to love me and you have to respect me, you know, you have to wanna to do all these things for the company. We can't necessarily expect that from that they're going to care as much as we do about our businesses. And I've been eternally grateful for some of the people that I've been able to find to bring on the team. Yeah. That's an incredible, that's an incredible story. And I think it is very touching. Like when one of your team members feels that um, touched by your work or something that you've said or done, like it has that, like I keep a wins folder where I like keep screenshots of like messages from clients and stuff. And so I also keep messages from team members in there because it's, it's that same endorphin rush, like the same happy feeling of like, I do know what I'm doing. I'm doing great. Like I'm making a difference when you hear feedback like that from your team member. Yes. And thank you for reiterating that. Yeah. Just because sometimes you wonder as a business owner, am I, how big a difference am I really making? Because that's the, it, that's what we think about at the end of the day. How can I make more impact? How much impact am I making? Yep, exactly. So true. <laughs> and I, I want to go on to the next question about what do you think are the top three tips in hiring business associates to kind of like bring all that together, what we just talked about. 
Yeah. So do your prep work, do your homework, know what you need, be clear on what success looks like for this new person you're looking for before you find them. Keep inclusive and diversity-minded practices in mind when you're hiring. So make sure that your process has a lot of communication, that you're not just sourcing applicants from one place, um, that you're following uh, any regulations, um, particularly here in the U.S. The IRS has got a lot of lot of lines around contractor and employee. And then three, onboarding doesn't end at 90 days. Like you want to make sure that onboarding leads into their greater experience with your team. So really think about what you want your team to feel like. Like for me, it's really important that when my team opens up the Slack channel, they don't feel anxiety seeing a little red message. You know, I want them to feel happy to log in and to work collaboratively. And so there's been a lot of intentional work going into creating an environment that is collaborative and open and humorous. And we can be funny and talk about serious things at the same time, like really be intentional with that piece. So number one, intentionality. <laughs> That's the overall theme here. But, you know, to reiterate, do your homework. Make sure that you are clear and that you are being inclusive and welcoming diversity. And three, culture starts at their first impression in your job description, but it doesn't end when they're hired. Keep it moving. So keep providing that environment that you want your team to be in. That's in the yes, all of all of the above. That's incredible. A lot of my teammates are from other countries, and I love the diversity and inclusivity because I. I also like knowing that when they make content that they're going to be inclusive because that is part of the company culture, but I don't really have to uh, double check that or question because it's already, the tone is already there. It's already set from the beginning Yeah, of the people yeah. that we bring, that we bring on. So uh, I wanted to dive into the one about, what was that question about the top five Oh, things that I would tell myself if I was starting over or if I knew now? Yeah, the or, or the top three, three to five top concepts that you feel like you want to leave the audience with that you feel like if you were starting a new business tomorrow. I, I was going to ask you too, is this your first business? Yes, I'm this assuming. is my first business. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, I've been, I well, I won't let this Phoenix die. Like, no, every time we've <laughs> We've pivoted, we've come up. And so I've, I've always done something in the realm of operations, but what that looks like has changed quite a few times. And so technically this is my first business, but we've pivoted a several times. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Um, I would say if, if I were to talk to someone who's starting a business today, you know, you gotta take that deep breath and be willing to fail because it's scary, it's horrible, it feels gross, but failure is where the growth comes from and failure is where the learning comes from. And once you've gotten through it a few times, it gets easier. It's never really fun. I mean, at least not for me. I've never really had fun failing, but it's really important to get good at failing because being good or at failing, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a second, is integral as a founder. It's one of those traits you need to be able to have to keep your business going. I have had offers that fell flat. Like there is nothing like a launch to crickets that humbles you. That is so humbling as a person, <laughs> like as a business owner. And so when I say get good at failing, I mean, be willing to fail. Because really that's a lot of what entrepreneurship is like. You're, you have an idea, you think it's going to work. You think it's going to do something for this person. You got to do it. And maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it needs to be changed. Maybe that's not the right person for it. Or maybe you hate doing it. 
And so then you have to be willing to be fluid in change, which is point two, being able to be flexible because something that I learned is I need to be focused on my end goal, not the journey it takes me to get there. When I get too focused on being rigid about how I'm achieving something, then it becomes uh, a roadblock to actually achieving it sometimes. And so I would say, you know, make sure that you have that willingness, right? It's, if you don't, if you don't have it, they don't make you have it because there's going to be so much flexibility needed to grow your business and to grow as an entrepreneur. And three is always be willing to learn and talk to someone. The person who, you know, is starting their business next to you today could be the next, you know, $10 million company. The person who starts, you've started for three months and the person who wants to have a coffee chat with you because they started their business today, like that could be a client two years down the road. Like you never know and not just talk to people for your benefit, but that community will help keep you in check and keep you motivated and offer you support. So, you know, develop a community as soon as you can, because it's, especially if you're a solo founder and you don't have like a co-founder partnership, it can be very lonely at the top. So really develop that community. Those are my top three things that I would tell myself. I love all of, amen. Yeah, I love all of those. I think they can be especially isolating because not a lot of people understand that. Like the willingness to fail, the willingness to be fluid and adaptable. And I've had people tell me who are not founders, well, didn't you know? Like, didn't you do the market research? Like, it doesn't matter how much market research you do. It's like, yes, I did all those things. But that doesn't matter once you put it out there and you just never re- truly know. And the yeah. only true research is to see how it's received from your community. And then to gather that feedback or information and make it better the next time. Exactly. I mean, everybody thinks that's great until it's time to pull out your checkbook. That's, you know, that's the best market research there is. It's worth <laughs> someone willing to pay for this. Um, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Like there's people don't understand, like, especially when you're, you know, we're effectively startups, like, you know, and so when you're in that phase of business, you're just, it's rapid growth. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to keep pushing. Like it's hard to find someone who understands that who hasn't come from run, like founding their own business. Yes. And, and then pivoting, like you said, like you do the, you do the thing, you put it out there and then you might need to edit or pivot a little bit. And that that doesn't necessarily mean that we failed completely because we still learn from it and we can put it back into the market better than if we didn't ever do it in the first place, or if we thought it has to be perfect or, well, I have to do more market research for the next three years before I actually put it out there or 10 years. And I've heard of people wanting to start businesses for 30 years and still not really starting it and and feeling worried about, I still need that perfect idea or I need to craft it. And that's, probably similar to you I have that in my personality where I'm okay to say let's see how this goes and steam train ahead nothing is going to stop me and um on the train and then can I have learned to then take feedback and and look at where could I have improved on this or how can I make it better for my clients and easier the whole process for seamless and streamlined, which leads back to the operations. So how can people 
connect with you, Rachel, on social media? Or in any way, is the best way to get in touch with you. You can find me at website, mastermindbusinessservices.com. I'm on LinkedIn as Rachel Pereira, which is P-E-R-E-Y-R-A. And I'm on Instagram as at mastermindbusinessservices. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you.